This pre-recorded show furnished by Matthew Mattern. Uh, you're listening to Unite and Heal America with Matt Mattern, your host, and it's KBC 790. Uh, today's guests on the program are Scott Culberson, Executive Director of Friends of the Bologna Wetlands, and Nessa Frechette, uh, Manager of Scientific Programs at the uh, Friends of Bologna Wetlands as well. Welcome to the program, Scott and Nessa. Terrific. Thanks, Matt. And, and if I may be so uh, uh, impertinent to start off and ask you to, to tell you that, that it's pronounced Bayona, not Bologna, and it's a really common mistake. So, but Well, that uh, my first year Spanish teacher would have uh, told me that one as well, and uh, I, I kind of anglicized it and, and butchered it, which is not uncommon when I see Spanish words, but I'm, I'm trying, trying to improve. So, Bayona. It's okay. We have board members who still call it. <laughs> so uh, tell us a little bit about uh, um, the Bayona wetlands and, and where it is for some of the listeners who may not know and, uh, and some who do. Sure. Well, you know, I often wonder how many people have driven right by the, the intersection of Lincoln and Jefferson Boulevard and Playa del Rey and not even know that the Bayona wetlands are here. Um, but the Bayona wetlands do have a rich history. The Bayona wetlands once, once stretched 2,000 acres from the Westchester Bluffs all the way to Santa Monica. Uh, of course, when Marina del Rey was built in 1960, we lost 900 acres of the wetlands. And then between that and development of, of Venice and Playa Vista and Playa del Rey, we have left only 577 acres. Well, that's uh, yeah. It's it's certainly dwindled uh, substantially, and though, I mean, it's still a a big chunk of land, almost a square mile. Um, so, uh, Scott, tell us a little bit of how uh, what your background is, and how you landed uh, at the Friends of Bayona Wetlands, and what's your journey to this uh, position? Sure. Well, I, I I took sort of a circuitous route to get here. I started life. Uh, working in finance and and later on the business side of the entertainment business and did a couple of startups or two, but found my found my way into working uh, in uh, at an education nonprofit in South Central Los Angeles called a place called Home. And I had met the founder, and if you've ever met the founder of a nonprofit, no is not the end of a conversation, but the beginning. And so I, I promised that I would come and help them out for a couple of years and. Ten years later, I was still there um, and thankful for that experience. And I have a friend who's on the board of this organization, uh, the Friends of Bionna Wetlands, and mentioned to me that they're looking for an executive director. And I, I kind of looked at it and thought, you know, of course, the environment's important, but I, I mean, not, maybe, it's, maybe I'm not the best person. And then when I discovered that there's a really robust education program that engages lots of youth from all over Los Angeles. Um, I was very interested, and then I met the board and the staff, and and there was there was that at that point there was no turning away. Well, that's a, that's a great story, um, Nessa. What uh, what brought you to uh, the Bayona Wetlands uh, project? Or pro- yeah, well, when I was uh, younger, I always knew I wanted to do something to save endangered species and help fight climate change. Um, I didn't know how I was going to do that. And I was born and raised in the San Fernando Valley, uh, surrounded by you know, streets and buildings and didn't really experience a lot of nature. It was kind of more of a concept to me. Uh, but then when I went 
to college, I um, really dove into all of the ecology and the wildlife that was present throughout our state. I went to UC Davis uh, for my undergraduate degree, and that's when I really discovered how much nature we have throughout our beautiful state. And I felt that we were really lacking that in Los Angeles. And so when I came home um, after graduating, I decided I, I wanted to stay in Los Angeles and bring more nature back to LA and help wildlife in and around Los Angeles. And that's how I ended up discovering uh, the Biona wetlands. I was one of those people that didn't even know it existed. And uh, after uh, interning with the Bay Foundation, they led me to Friends of Biona Wetlands and I've been in love ever since. Well, it is a, a beautiful piece of uh, land. And yeah, as I drive by it many times, I'm just struck by all the wildflowers and uh, just kind of rugged, natural kind of beauty that uh, was California before uh, 10 million people invaded uh, Los Angeles County and, and uh, changed the landscape quite a bit. But uh, it, it's great that this organization that uh, you two are a part of is preserving this uh, very important piece of uh, land. And tell us a little bit about that, Nessa, in terms of the importance of having wetlands uh, in and around our community. Sure. So Los Angeles County has lost 95% of its wetlands. So it's a very rare habitat. Um, California overall has lost more than 91%. And so we are really struggling to hold on to what we have left and protect it from further urbanization, sea level rise, uh, invasion from non-native species, um, all sorts of things. And uh, we really have to take advantage of the areas we have left to protect what we have left and expand wherever we can because wetlands are our first defense against sea level rise and they also are the base of the food chain for a lot of fish and birds and other wildlife. Wetlands house one-third of endangered species in the United States, uh, so very critical for animals that don't have anywhere else to go. There are a lot of species that can only live in wetlands and when they lose their wetlands, they have, that's it, right? And so that's uh, one of our big goals is to, to defend the wildlife that live in the wetlands, but they also are carbon sinks. Uh, they protect our coastal cities from flooding and they also help regulate the uh, temperatures around the wetlands. So lots of, uh, ecosystem services that come from the wetlands that we all depend on. Well, tell us, uh, what are the- Plus cleaning our water. That's a lot. Uh, let's just take them one at a time. In terms of species that uh, live in the Bayona uh, wetlands, uh, tell us a little bit about what, what can be found there. Yeah, so one of the iconic birds uh, is the Belding Savannah Sparrow that uh, lives in the pickleweed salt marsh at Bayona. It's uh, endemic to Southern California and Baja California, meaning it can be found nowhere else. And without the pickleweed salt marsh for it to live and breed in, uh, it would not have a place uh, for it to live. Uh, so that's one of the critical habitats that's found in Southern California that supports that bird. There's also the, uh, and that's a state endangered bird. There's also the federally endangered El Segundo blue butterfly uh, which lives in the coastal sand dunes along uh, 
a very narrow range. Um, and it was almost extinct. It was uh, one of the first insects to be listed when the Endangered Species Act was written. And it used to uh, exist at Biona, uh, was extirpated, lost from the wetlands uh, due to the spread of ice plant and loss of native plants. And its host plant is called dune buckwheat. And without the buckwheat, the butterfly cannot exist. It lives its whole life cycle on that one plant. And Friends of Biona Wetlands uh, pulled out all the ice plant, put in the buckwheat and the other companion plants, and that butterfly actually returned to the dunes in uh, Biona. So, and it's slowly expanding its range in other areas where other restoration efforts have taken place. And that's just two of the uh, several other special status species that, that call Biona home. Well, that's, uh, that's important work. And, and certainly uh, California has a, a, a very storied history in, in being a part of the Endangered Species Act. I believe it was written by a California Congressman, Pete McCluskey, back in the early 70s. Uh, he, um, he was a Republican congressman, which probably surprises a few uh, in this day and age. But, uh, you know, uh, that's maybe what we could hope to get back to uh, in the not too distant future. But uh, another thing that I've been reading about is the carbon sinks and, and what uh, their role is in, in uh, sucking up carbon so that uh, we don't have the climate change that is predicted uh, at this point in time. So tell us a little bit about what a carbon sink is and, and uh, how important it is for, for all of us. Yeah, so carbon sinks are uh, ecosystems that absorb more carbon than they release. Uh, so most of the time people think, think of forests and trees. Uh, the carbon gets sucked out of the air, stored in the trees, the trees grow larger, more carbon is sucked in and held there. Uh, and then can also be put into the ground by the plants. So a similar uh, effect happens in wetlands. The plants and the microorganisms in the wetland absorb the carbon from the air and store it in the soil and sediment beneath the wetlands or in the plants themselves and in their roots. And uh, coastal wetlands, salt marshes, are the best at doing this, um, better than freshwater marshes. And so that's one of the reasons why uh, restoring wetlands overall is very important, but especially our coastal estuaries that are the best at doing that job. That's, uh, that's important. And, and the one other thing that you talked about was the temperature rise and how, how does this affect uh, the temperature in the areas that surround the, the wetlands? Yeah, so natural open spaces inherently uh, reduce the heat island effect and wetlands uh, are, contribute to that and have the ability to, to reduce heat and control the, um, the air and um, how it affects the area around it. So because we have those plants, that open space and that water, that all adds a regulating effect. These are, these are all important benefits of having uh, the Bayono wetlands in our area. And uh, everybody, we are going to be right back in just a minute from our break. And we'll continue our conversation with Scott and Nessa regarding the Bayona wetlands and what we can do uh, going forward to uh, help uh, protect that area. 
This is Unite and Heal America with Matt Matter, KBC 790. We'll be back in just one minute. You're listening to Unite and Heal America. This is Matt Matter, KBC 790. Again, my guest, Scott Culberson, Executive Director of Friends of Bayona Wetlands, and Nessa Prashet, Manager of Scientific Programs. Uh, Scott, question to you in terms of the organization and when did it start and uh, what was its original mission and has that mission changed over time? Uh, yeah, so the, so the, the, the Friends of Minor Wetlands started to save the wetlands. Um, the, the land was owned by Howard Hughes, and after Howard Hughes died, his heirs had every intention of developing this land. They were going to extend the marina here, build a golf course, have high-rises, just basically an extension of Marina Del Rey. And our founder, Ruth Lansford, wasn't really going to stand for that. So along with some professors from LMU, and she started Friends of Bionna Wetlands in her kitchen, passed around a coffee can, everybody put in 10 bucks, and we were off to the races. Um, 25 years later, after lots of litigation and negotiation, uh, the state of California approved our plan to uh, uh, save the property. The state of California purchased the property designated it an ecological reserve, thereby saving the land in perpetuity. And uh, now California Department of Fish and Wildlife manages the property. Um, so Los Angeles, you have Ruth Lansford to thank for this beautiful land. That's, uh, that's a great uh, example of community involvement and just uh, taking a stand for something. And that's something all of us have the opportunity to do is some, sometimes it feels a little bit overwhelming, but uh, stories like that remind us that uh, one person standing up for something can make a difference. So when did the state of California actually purchase the property? They purchased the property in 2003 and designated at an ecological reserve in 2005. It's a wonder that the property made it through uh, that period of time from Howard Hughes's uh, death to... Uh, 2003 without being developed uh, because obviously it was a, a piece of land that would have had great value to a developer to pave over and turn it into something else. Well, and, and you know, for the last 200 years, you know, Bayona's been, been farmed and drilled and driven on. You've got, as I mentioned earlier, Marina Del Rey was built losing uh, nearly half of the original 2000 acre wetlands. You know, Bayona Creek was was straightened and channelized uh, uh, development, um, but somehow somehow um, Bayona has made it through. It's it's still need, in need of restoration in a lot of places, a lot of areas, um, but it's it's an important sanctuary uh, in the middle of this really dense urban community. Tell us, uh, what do the Friends of Bayona Wetlands do? Today, the Friends of Bayona Wetlands. Uh, have a very successful, uh, we, have, we have four basic uh, programs. Our Explore Bionic Education Program, which engages thousands of students from all over Los Angeles. Uh, we're focusing primarily on uh, schools from underserved communities, part poor communities that, that don't always have the opportunity to be outside. We have a grade level uh, uh, specific curriculum that's aligned with, with next generation science standards. So we're helping what's happening in the classroom. And we have our restoration program, which engages thousands of volunteers from all over Los Angeles to help us uh, pull the invasive plants that, that, that Nessa uh, mentioned. Um, 
plants, native plants. In fact, in the, in the last two years, from seed collected on site, we've planted more than 2,000 plants, and many of them are the, the dune buckwheat, which is the host plant for the El Segundo blue butterfly. And we're hoping in that, that extra roughly acre, we'll see an expansion and we'll see the butterflies, um, hopefully this year. Um, our science program that NESA manages oversees all of our restoration efforts. So that not only we're documenting them, but ensuring and monitoring and maintaining that really important work. And lastly, our advocacy, not just for the wetlands, but for environmental causes uh, throughout California and particularly Los Angeles. What, uh, what environmental causes in particular is, uh, is your organization backing at this time? Well, so I mean, certainly our, we're very myopic as it relates to issues at Biona, and the biggest issue for us is have, ensuring that the state's uh, um, restoration plan for this, uh, for the Biona wetlands is, is um, implemented. But we also support plastic bans. There was, there was a recent, um, um, I'm, I'm going to butcher the name, but it was Stop the Stuff, so that we're not collecting all of our, our plastic utensils when we go to restaurants for takeout. Um, clean water issues, and importantly, um, Governor Newsom's 30 by 30 uh, plan, which will increase which will increase habitat and well-being, ecological well-being, in by 2030. And how does that 30 by 30 program uh, or plan work? Um, what's your understanding of how it uh, would be implemented? Well, it was it was just announced. Oof, I'm actually looking at the press release now in October. Um, and the, the, the primary features are healthy soils management. Um, um, importantly to us, certainly wetlands restoration to protect coastal wetlands, forest management and boosting green infrastructure. Those are their, those are the primary functions. And in, in coming budgets, there will be funds allocated against this. So not only is it gonna be good for California, and a healthy lifestyle, I'm sure it, it will be a job-creating program as well. So uh, who manages the wetlands currently? So the, again, the, the, the land is owned by the state of California, and California Department of Fish and Wildlife manages the property. As a nonprofit organization, uh, we're permitted by Fish and Wildlife to operate our, the programs that I just mentioned. Okay, so you're working in conjunction with the state of California to, to carry out these programs. Yes, that's correct. We're permitted by them to operate the programs on the land. So what is the state of California's restoration plan for, for the Bayono wetlands? Well, I mean, much of the, the wetlands are, are highly degraded for the reasons that I mentioned before. In addition to you know, the, the drilling, I mean, there was even a race car track, you know, in 1920, a huge oval race car track built in the wetlands. Um, there was a, a train line, the, the, the uh, Pacific Railroad ran right through the middle of the wetlands. But when the Marina, but when Marina Del Rey was built in 1960, 3.1 million cubic yards, and if I can put that in perspective, imagine that we're making cubic yard bales of, of marine fill. If we placed them end to end, we'd be in about Mobile, Alabama. So all that marine fill was dumped on the northern edge of, of the Biona wetlands, disconnecting the wetlands from the water. And one of the priorities of the, of the restoration project is to reconnect the land to the sea. 
and what is being done on that front of reconnecting the land uh, to the sea? That uh, sounds like a, a pretty major project, moving 3.1 million cubic feet of marine fill. Yeah, it is, and, and the project has not started yet. They're still in the permitting phase. Um, you know, we really expect that this will be um, uh, the work will will begin year and a half, two years, maybe two and a half years. Um, I mean, imagine it, it was it was you know ten or fifteen years to write the environmental impact report, getting getting um, uh, feedback from the community, the scientific community, folks who live in the neighborhood. And then to, to develop the plan, refine the plan, do all the studies, and now they're they're getting the permit the permits going, so that work can begin someday soon. Well, that's a that's a long time to uh, to move something forward, ten to fifteen years. Uh, it's honestly, it's, it's way too long. I mean, I I, I don't in a typical restoration project like this wouldn't take fifteen years to to get moving. What have been the uh, the roadblocks that uh, you've had to face to to get this project done? Well, and I want to be really clear. This isn't our project. This is the state of California project. It's being managed by California Department of Fish and Wildlife. We are we are simply advocates and supporters of the project, along with our partners, Heal the Bay, Surfrider Foundation, Trust for Public Land, um, um, uh, California Audubon, and, and several other organizations. Um, it's it's a complicated project, and, and like I don't claim to know all the ins and outs, um, but I can see why it would, would take a long time, but it seems to have been taking an extraordinarily long time. Nessa probably can respond in a little more detail to that. Well, uh, we'll probably turn back to that in just one minute, but uh, we're going into break. You've been listening to Unite and Heal America with uh, Matt Mattern, and we're going to be right back with the Executive Director Scott Culberson and uh, Nessa Frechette uh, in just one minute. So stand by and uh, we're going to talk a little bit more about uh, what's happening in the future for the Bayona wetlands. You're listening to KBC 790. This is Unite and Heal America with Matt Mattern. And I'm talking to Executive Director Scott Culberson and uh, Manager of Scientific Programs, Nessa Frechette. Nessa, if you could tell us a little bit about what are the benefits of this res restoration process and why it's taking so long. Sure. So as Scott mentioned, the process really began back in 2003 when the land was purchased and planning for restoration began at that time. And because of the nature of of the jurisdictions involved in Biona, it involves uh, the state as well as the federal government. So Biona Creek is managed by the Army Corps of Engineers. And so they also have to be involved in the restoration planning. And so there's an environmental impact report as well as an environmental impact statement. And both of these very detailed reports are informed with over a decade of scientific monitoring that was done by several different environmental consulting organizations that do studies related to the wildlife, the vegetation, the soils, the sediment, the hydrology, uh, you name it, um, geological studies, uh, all of that needed to be done and form these documents. Uh, in addition to that, there was a ton of public engagement uh, and scientific engagement. So there was an, a science advisory panel that met several times to review the documents and uh, 
come up with a plan. Uh, different st uh, stakeholders were involved. There was uh, 40 different presentations made by environmental organizations. And everybody from the community was invited to put in uh, different alternatives that they and visions that they wanted to see for Biona. So Friends of Bonawellans participated in that process along with many other organizations. And then all of that was reviewed. And then the plan came out with the most feasible and most beneficial alternatives. So there was more than 12 uh, options that they were reviewing in the beginning. And then after um, finding out which ones are gonna be the most beneficial and which ones are feasible, they ended up with three alternatives. And then they had to release that document. All of the community was invited again to comment on that, on which alternative they preferred, um, if they thought that something was overlooked, if they wanted a combination of the alternatives. And so that started in, in 2017. And then Fish and Wildlife had to go through and respond to every single one of those comments. It was over 4,000 letters from the community um, all throughout California, actually, and, and other agencies, including U.S. Fish and Wildlife. So uh, there was a bunch of feedback. And then the final environmental impact report was released. And then the state had to certify that plan. So that's the part where it started to feel like, you know, can't we speed this up a little bit? Um, that's where the bureaucracy comes in. Finally certified at the end of last year, but we're still waiting for the environmental impact statement from the Army Corps of Engineers, which will be uh, finalized after some additional studies related to flood control. So you got to make sure you have to make sure that those levees are designed correctly. So that's the, the next step for the state of California and their partnership with the federal government. So we're all anxiously awaiting that. Um, and that's because this project is going to give us so many amazing benefits. And I just want to highlight five of those. Um, number one, repair damaged habitats and improve biodiversity. Uh, that's near and dear to our heart as an environmental organization, thinking about all of the wildlife and endangered animals that, that need this land. Um, Iona, as mentioned, has gone through so many impacts from drilling, filling, pollution, the invasive plant uh, apocalypse going on out there. Uh, it's also going to reconnect the land and sea by opening up the cement levees, pushing them back to the roads, the existing roads, and making them earthen levees instead, allowing the water to move more naturally through the wetlands, and then vegetating those levees so it's not just uh, cement. We actually will have plants and, uh, and soil on the levees. I will also make Biona climate resilient. So part of the reason of using those uh, earthen levees that are pushed out to the edge is that it will allow the, uh, as, a, as the ocean rises, the water can move up the slowly uh, sloping levees uh, and will adjust over time. Whereas if we leave it as it is now, the self-regulating tide gates will eventually shut uh, around 2050 when the tide reaches about two 0.3 meters, and then um, there will be no more water flow at that point. So by moving the levees back, we allow the water to flow in naturally, adjust over time. And that's partially, I mean, that's basically because we're surrounded by urbanization on all sides. Um, if it wasn't for that, Biona could expand naturally and move eastward. But because we have city on all side, we have to uh, come up with some creative solutions here in California. And um, the last two, um, great success of removing SoCal gas from the ecological reserve. 
all 16 of their wells inside the reserve will be abandoned and all the infrastructure supporting those wells will be removed and restored back to native habitat. And last but not least, uh, Biona will finally be accessible to all Angelinos, um, no matter where they live or um, if they're coming by uh, foot, bike, or car, they will finally get to access um, Biona with well-regulated, maintained trails uh, that are safe, that have bike paths and pedestrian paths separate, and um, that's really going to be the shining beacon for our city. Well, that would be great. Uh, currently, if somebody wants to access the wetlands, uh, what, uh, what can they do? So, so the wetlands are, so the Biona wetlands, I'll just, you know, it, it's not a park, it's an ecological reserve. So its number one function is, is for wildlife. Um, however, it's really important in Park Poor Los Angeles to get people outdoors and have them physically connect with nature. So uh, as mentioned earlier, we see thousands of, stu of schools of, of students, K through 12 and college students every year in our education program. And every week we post, uh, we host Creek cleanups to help get the, get the trash out of Bayona Creek before it finds its way to the ocean, and also restoration projects. And if you go to the calendar on our website, bayonafriends.org, you can see all of the activities that, that we sponsor, and we have all kinds of uh, events that we do throughout the year. Okay. So, and, and basically, if you'll come when NASA is doing bird watching tour, and you'll you'll benefit from. Nessa's bounty of, of information. Okay. Well, uh, so for people who are listening, uh, generally speaking, it's uh, the wetlands is not a place to, it, it, in its current form, uh, to just walk around and hike around it, it uh, because of it being a nature preserve. Is that a fair statement? That's correct. But as, and as Nessa mentions, you know, one of the great and, and very important benefits is that once the restoration project is completed, uh, it will be open along the perimeter paths um, with new boardwalks and new bike paths for, for anyone to come visit and, and enjoy the beauty of Bayana. But currently, it is, it is what Fish and Wildlife calls managed access. Okay. It, and it's, it's a really sensitive habitat, and we just you really just can't have folks wandering through at this point. Right, that makes sense. In terms of uh, tours of it, uh, you were saying there's a bird watching tour that uh, people could find out about through the bionafriends.org? Uh, yeah, so we're, we are literally just, you know, coming out of COVID shutdown and just having our, our community events start. Um, they're small right now. We're limited to the size and number of people that we can have at, at any given time. Um, after June 15th, when the state releases um, the, the new guidelines, and once we see what the county's interpretation, we'll have a better idea of how many folks we can have at any given time uh, and what activities we can do. So we'll start opening up pretty quickly, I would imagine. When is it expected that the trails and uh, will be... Uh, constructed and made available to to the public in general? So the the trail system that, that is present now on, on the western part of Biona um, is uh, narrow and it's maintained by Friends of Biona Wetlands and occasionally California Fish and Wildlife. And um, it's not the extensive well-maintained trail system that is going to be built 
during the restoration process. Uh, and so that's why it, do, it doesn't have the same capacity that it will. But uh, after the restoration starts, we, we expect that the first phase of the restoration will take about five years. And there is a public access plan for that first phase. So there will be, after that first phase, trails throughout um, the, the northern and part of the central part of Biona. Um, and there, there are maps in the environmental impact report that detail this, that show that there's gonna be um, meaningful access at that time. Then there's a waiting period, and then they, uh, the state will do the second phase of the restoration. And then there's an additional uh, access that expands after that. So um, that would mean probably in about seven years, we would see our, our, our meaningful access with the um, miles of additional pedestrian and bike trails added, including restroom facilities, drinking fountains, those sorts of things um, that we just don't have available to us right now. Now you talked about removing the Southern California gas wells. Um, did they own the property where their wells are at or those, uh, those on state property? They own the mineral rights underneath the state property. So California Fish and Wildlife manages the top. SoCal Gas has the rights to everything underneath. And, uh, and then they have the easements to be able to access those wells and uh, the folks negotiating uh, really fought to ask them to, to leave and, and they acquiesced and we're benefiting from that. But yeah, they did not have to leave if they didn't want to. Well, that's great because I've, I've seen them uh, out there working on the wells for the last uh, couple of years and, and I, I would imagine it's pretty damaging to the wetlands to uh, have those heavy vehicles uh, move out onto, the, uh, onto that very fragile terrain. Um, we'll be uh, taking a break here for just one minute. Uh, you're listening to Unite and Heal America with uh, Matt Mattern on KBC 790. I'm talking to Scott Culberson, the head executive director of the Bayona Wetlands and uh, also Nessa Frechette, manager of scientific programs. We're gonna be right back and uh, continue talking about this important uh, subject. You're listening to KBC 790. This is Matt Mattern, host of Unite and Heal America. My guests today, again, Scott Culberson and Nessa Frechette uh, from the Bayona Wetlands. Um, and wanted to discuss with you, Scott, how the uh, program has had an impact on youth who've been involved in your educational uh, programs. Sure. Uh, you know, the, the Friends of Biona Wetlands Explore Biona Education Program uh, has been going on for 20 years, and, and it's immensely successful. We've seen we see thousands of students from all over Los Angeles. If, we, if I were to be able to show you a scatter map, you would see that we have students coming not only from the immediate area, but all the way up to Malibu, Northridge, Pasadena, you know, down in the unincorporated around Downey and Long Beach, and then back to Biona again. Uh, a good 70% of those students come from underserved communities, park poor communities. So it's the, it's the great opportunity to get them in nature and, and connect with nature. There's a, a particular success story that, that I think we're all very proud of. And, and it's, we had a, a, about six years ago, uh, uh, a young woman who was a junior in high school. Her name is Amy. And Amy visited with her high school on, a, on an education tour. 
And she never really thought of, she's from South LA. She didn't live in an area with a lot of open space. And she got very excited uh, about Bayonne and asked if she could volunteer. Um, she, we took her on as a volunteer. She ended up going to college at LMU. She continued to volunteer with us while she was in high school. And then at LMU, she became an intern. Um, during her junior year, she, we hired her to work with us part-time. And she just graduated um, a, couple of, a couple of weeks ago. And she is now working for us full-time um, in our education program. And that's, that's really, you know, if there's a dream that you could have for a program uh, or the impact that you would have on a person's life, that would be it. That's a that's wonderful story, and uh, yeah, I think that uh, programs like yours, uh, connecting students who haven't seen these open spaces many times, uh, because uh, we have a lot of jewels in California, but sometimes they're hidden from from view, and and people who aren't in the know don't uh, don't have a chance to connect to those, and so uh, you're connecting students from underserved areas is, is an amazing part of the work that you're doing. So what's, um, what's the ultimate goal, Nessa, for the Bayona wetlands? Yeah, so the restoration project has two main goals. The first goal is to promote and enhance biodiversity, um, expand wetlands, and protect the environment and the species that live at Bayona. Uh, and make opportunities for other species throughout the state to, to come back that have, that have been lost. And then the second main goal is to provide a, a beautiful, fully functioning wetland for the Angelinos that live here to come and visit and, and cherish. And these goals are, I feel, are, are equally important. Um, as an ecological reserve, we protect, we're protecting the environment first, uh, but the in Los Angeles, in the heart of, of our city, you can only imagine, obviously everyone's gonna wanna come. And so having that well-managed access with, with trails that are accessible to everyone right now, we don't have the capacity to bring uh, differently abled folks, folks with strollers uh, into the reserve. The, the trail isn't designed that way and, and that's not right. You know That needs to be fixed. Uh, there's not enough parking for if people from all over Los Angeles really wanted to come. We don't have enough parking. There's one lot and it gets used by the entire Playa del Rey community on a Saturday. Everybody coming to go to the beach. There needs to be parking. There needs to be meaningful access. Uh, access that protects the wildlife, but also gives all Angelinos the opportunity to visit and explore Bayona and feel connected to nature. Uh, but we also need to have nature here to come to. And right now, only about 30 acres of Bayona is high functioning, or I would say medium functioning wetland. The rest of Bayona is cut off from water, covered in fill, covered in non-native plants, and doesn't provide the meaningful services that wetlands are supposed to, that all of these, wild, these animals need. And so the restoration project will right those wrongs. It will uh, remove the fill created by Marina Del Rey, open the creek back up and let the tide water in, let the flood waters in, uh, restore the native diversity, bring back the, the native plants, uh, get out the non-native plants that are essentially weeds taking over more than 200 acres of Bayona are just covered in non-native weeds. Uh, I know every spring when you drive by, all the yellow flowers are really pretty but they're actually weeds. Uh, they're mustard, they're crown daisy, they're euphorbia, they're ice plant. 
And that stuff does not provide the food and shelter and nesting habitat that our wildlife need. So we need to get that stuff out of there. We got to put the native California plants back in. We got to bring the water back in and we will have a beautiful shining gem of a wetland that Los Angeles deserves. So tell us how long is that going to take and kind of are there steps on, on in the process as far as pieces of acreage that you're working on and how, how quickly can, can that all get done? Yeah, so Friends of Bono Wetlands has been doing restoration at um, on just the western edge of the ecological reserve since the 90s. We've been working in the same eight acres of sand dunes for two decades by hand uh, with trowels occasionally to put plants in, um, some pruning shears and things like that. But um, very, you know, this restoration project is going to require heavy machinery. It's going to require phasing uh, to move cement, to move dirt. And um, we, so we've been toiling for decades to just restore a few acres of coastal sand dunes. And the results have been great, but it just takes way too long, right? And so this restoration plan, um, though it's going to take about 10 years um, altogether, uh, once it gets started, uh, the state will be able to restore 577 acres in half the time that we've spent on eight acres because of the planning, the funding, the technology, the machinery. And uh, so it's going to be an astounding change in what might seem like a long period of time, but in the grand geological scale and in the scale of our organization, it's going to be like a blink of an eye once the shovel gets in the ground. Yeah, that's, uh, well, it's important. And and the fact that uh, your organization helped save that piece of wetlands so that this important work could be done is, is the real big story and the amazing uh, work that you've done there. Uh, I was talking to another guest uh, recently, and they were talking about the the water that comes down from our rains, and and that we're not capturing that um, effectively. In in something like three billion gallons of water, or uh, are are going uh, out to the ocean every year because of us not capturing that. Uh, what's uh, the wetlands role in in uh, capturing some of that that water. Yeah, so wetlands are designed to act like a sponge, uh, and they the soil uh, captures the water and and stores it. And um, because they're generally also in basins, they can fill up and then slowly release water over time. Um, coastal wetlands are a little different in the fact that they also have the tides coming in from the ocean side. Um, and so Biona will be able to absorb uh, not only the uh, sea level rise and tides coming in from the west, but also uh, rain coming, um, uh, stormwater runoff, and will clean that water. The plants and the organizations, organi- organisms in the wetlands will help clean that water as it comes down too. Uh, so that's very important. But I, I would argue that we do also need to find a way to store more of that water upstream uh, absorb it in areas that have already been paved over and um, make use of some of that water upstream where it's also needed. Scott, uh, where do you see your program expanding from here? Well, certainly, you know, this restoration is the, leg- is the legacy to our future generations. Um, and when the restoration is finished, the, the friends will still be here running our education programs and running our, our, our restoration programs. But I think in the long term that the friends really will become 
more and more our education program will grow and our advocacy programs will go. We'll probably uh, take on more of the environmental, regional environmental issues um, after, when, especially being able to have the success of the restoration behind us. Um, you know, Nessa mentions that, you know, in, in a city where, where we spend billions of dollars to import water every year, we've got to start, we've got to start collecting and saving the water upstream. And I think that's a really important mission for all of us. How do you see yourselves uh, partnering with other organizations going forward? And uh, we don't have a whole lot of time to wrap that up, but I'll give you a minute or 30 seconds to, to give me the highlights. Yeah, sure. We partner. We partner with Heal the Bay, the Bay Foundation, Surfrider Foundation, Trust for Public Land, several other organizations in Southern California, Sparta, and San Diego, uh, on environmental and, and watershed issues. So we're, we have a we have a coalition uh, it's called the the Wetlands Restoration Principles Coalition that deal with wetlands issues uh, throughout the state. Well, thank you so much, uh, Scott and Nessa, for being on the program. It's been great getting to uh, talk to you about the work, the great work that you and the Friends of Bayona Wetlands are doing and, uh, you know, help saving a piece of habitat, which is important for all of California. So kudos to you and, and the work that you're doing. Thanks to the listeners uh, for listening to Unite and Heal America. I'm your host, Matt Mattern, and uh, you're listening to KBC 790. Hope to have you back next week. This pre-recorded show furnished by Matthew Mattern.